We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my host, Nick Filato, coming to you on the last day of Giants mandatory minicamp, though. I do feel like I've been covering the Giants now since, I think, 2016 with 24-7 Sports. About six years is year six. This is the least eventful minicamp I can ever remember by far. I mean, last year, just looking back at what we did on the podcast too, Nick, we had a lot to talk about from the minicamp. There's just not much going on at this minicamp. A lot of players are injured, not participating. And ultimately, I think what comes down to is, if I'm going to be honest, Nick, a lot of that was smoke that we, that not just us, but everyone was puffing and putting out there over the last few years. These minicamps are not, there's not much happening at them. It's a lot of install. It's a lot of, you know, get the terminology down start to move around a little bit, but not much. A few 11 on 11s here, a few seven on sevens, but nothing of too much importance. And I think Dable understands that. And I think what's going on is he's just trying to get them ready to go for training camp, for the preseason, for the things that actually matter and for the things that we're actually going to get real football out of. But, you know, a few things to talk about here with minicamp. So Nick, let's start it off with what you want to talk about first. What do you, what, what, did, what comes to your mind after reading a little bit about, you know, what's been going down at minicamp? You've talked and discussed about how there are a lot of red jerseys out there, a lot of injured players who are out there, which is allowing opportunities for guys like Richie James and players like that to step up. So I guess it's kind of cool to see that a player like Richie James is getting a lot of hype right now, but that's kind of all it is. Once training camp rolls around, once Kadarius, Tony, and Kenny Galladay, they get more and more healthy. Guys like that aren't probably going to have, or at least hopefully won't have as big of an impact as they seem to be having here in training camp. But if I had my one thing to kind of go over, I think it was mini camp day one, the defense was just all over the offense. And I think it was Dane Belton who on back-to-back plays was able to get into the backfield and sack Daniel Jones, theoretically. So it's cool to see Dane Belton use that way. It's, it's not a surprise. But again, how much do you want to read into this? I think it's something that, you know, you just kind of take, you remember. But as you said earlier, man, training camp is where the real action really begins. 
Yeah, but there is something to say to be said about, you know, everything we're reading about the defense being way ahead of the offense right now, because typically the offense is ahead of the defense at this point. And that also remains the case early on in the NFL season. It's why a lot of sharp bettors will tell you to be laying the overs early. If you're a betting man, if you're a sports gambler, lay the overs early in the season, weeks one to four. It takes a little long for the defense to catch up the offenses. But that may not be the case in this situation because you have an aggressive defense, you have an aggressive defensive coordinator, and you have a quarterback who has, quite frankly, struggled against the blitz. That's the facts. I mean, the numbers say a different story, but you look at all the games when Daniel Joseph faced defenses that just don't respect the deep half, and he doesn't have many solutions. There's a lot of examples on tape, unfortunately, from year three where he just didn't even read the hot, the hot reads, right? He didn't read the blitz right. So... Right now, I think it's going to be a little bit overwhelming. They don't have Andrew Thomas in there, right? So they have Azudu playing left tackle. That's something we can talk about, but it's also that's something that's going to make the offense's job a little bit more difficult, right? They have a rookie at right tackle. He's a high draft pick, but he's a rookie. And so, you know, you have an aggressive system, quarterback who struggled against the blitz, and he's learning, by the way, a brand new system, new terminology, doesn't really have a great feel for where receivers are going to be at what time. And I think we're going to see this continue through training camp, at least through the early parts, Nick. I won't be surprised if we hear a lot of bad days for the offenses, uh, for the offense in the early going, because again, the defense will be ahead of the offense just in general, I think, Nick, because there's, in my opinion, a better unit there. I think that's obvious. Look, the Giants offense was close to dead last the last two years, and the defense was pretty damn good in 2020 and okay in 2021. And so I think this is something we'll continue to see, but adjustments is what we'll want to see. We'll want to see some examples of Daniel Jones doing a good job of reading these blitzes and Daniel Jones making them pay because you did a great breakdown, Nick, which we can talk about on another pod or here um, that was showing kind of some of the exotic blitzes that Wink Martindale used last year. For those who don't know, it's up on big blue view. I think it's on their YouTube page. Um, and Nick broke down kind of what Wink Martindale has done to kind of deliver these exotic blitzes, but on almost every single one of them, Nick, I felt like if you're doing that against Tom Brady, <laughs> you're just going to get burned every single time when you do that. And it's fun to watch. It's great. And I think Wink Martindale will do really well against most of these quarterbacks. But, you know, that's what I want to start to see from Daniel Jones. Make him pay. Make Wink and the defense pay for sending these extra blitzers. Find it, find it out, diagnose it, and deliver the ball on time and, you know, with accuracy. And so... It'll be it'll be a learning process, Nick, but I'm excited to see how that is going forward. But I, I really wasn't surprised to hear the defense way out of the offense. The injuries on the offense don't help, but at the same time, if it's the blitzing that is really getting to Daniel Jones and rattling Daniel Jones, you hear there's a lot of safety A-gap blitzes, a lot of Mike linebacker twist blitzes right into the A-gap, and then Jones isn't getting to that second option. It doesn't really matter if that second option or that hot read is Kadarius Toney or Rondell Robinson or Richie right. James or whatever. It's You want to see your quarterback get to that. Now, I'm uncertain on if he is not getting to that or what exactly is happening because we don't have the film, so it's kind of really hard to break down. But that is one sticking point that I hope the beat writers are paying attention to is Daniel Jones' mental processing in these situations when Wink Martindale brings these blitzes. And you made a great point. We're going to see a lot more peppering the A-gap, something I've always loved. Now, the A-gap blitzes and that aggressive style of defense, I think has been... It's kind of, again, defense coordinators kind of went away from it recent years. We've seen a lot more defensive shift to what, you know, Gannon's doing or what Patrick Graham is doing. Just this kind of too high look, a lot more zone. But Mike Zimmer made a living in Cincinnati and then brought that over to Minnesota in the early to, early to mid-2000s of just, you know, peppering that A-gap with blitzers. And I, I like that style of defense. So I'm excited that that's part of nature here. And I'll say this about Jones and the offense and adjusting to the blitz. 
it's early, right? Like, I don't expect Daniel Jones to be doing well against this style of defense early on in camp when he's learning a new system, regardless of the injuries at receiver. Like you said, I don't think that matters more of a processing thing, but it's going to take time. It really is. We got to be patient with this. We got to be patient with the offense in general. In my opinion, I don't think we're going to hit the ground running too. I don't think that's, you know, it's fair to say we probably won't hit the ground running, at least not early on in training camp, but you'll just want to see what Nick said. Like, Jones starts to see it, right? He starts to understand, okay, this safety is coming down here. I have that opening in the defense. I can adjust on the fly and throw the ball to a spot where this receiver can get to, and he can, you know, throw him open in that vacated area where the safety should be. And so we'll see if we start to see that stuff. I want to talk to you a little bit about something else that was a talking point of OTAs and now minicamp, and that's the usage of Saquon Barkley. Being mixed in as a receiver, being mixed in as the motion guy pre-snap, being mixed in in the backfield, all different ways to utilize Saquon Barkley has been the key so far. And one thing I was thinking about with Barkley, before we get into what he said about, you know, this offense and how he feels, we're hearing a lot of passes going in his direction early on, Nick. And I think that's a good thing. I think playing against this defense for Daniel Jones will help him get to that check down earlier. And I actually am a fan of utilizing more check downs within this passing game. Um, just quicker though. You got to get it there quick. That's the thing. You got to diagnose that nothing else is going to be ideal in the passing game, your other reads, your other options and get the ball to Barkley. Cause I think he can make plays still in space. And I think he can do a lot with those quick check downs. If they get the ball to him quick, if it's like, you know, he takes a while and then he checks down to Barkley, well then it's the defense rallies and there's nothing there. But I think playing against wings defense will actually help Daniel Jones get to Barkley earlier and understand that, look, I can do this quicker. I can get the ball in quicker. And that's fine because he can make plays in space. What do you make of what say of, of uh, Saquon Barkley's utilization so far? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And also, I think that's a great point you just made with Daniel Jones. If he really gets to Barkley and gets used to getting to Barkley because Wink Martindale is such a pressure-heavy type of coordinator, what happened last year when Daniel Jones faced a lot of defensive coordinators, they wanted to bring pressure. So now you translate that into the regular season and now you can make defenses pay for bringing pressure and maybe give Daniel Jones a little bit more time in the pocket because if Daniel Jones sees five, six guys coming, he's so used to checking down to Barkley, getting to Barkley real quickly. Now you have those six guys upfield. You have Barkley with momentum going forward in the flat with one player to miss. You can break off, you know, a 40 yard touchdown in those type of situations. So you're right. I think if Jones can kind of put all that together, he can make defensive coordinators finally pay for bringing that blitz. Yeah, it's a good point, Nick. I mean, one thing we can look at with this defense is there's going to be value added by Daniel Jones facing this defense every day in practice during training camp because this is one of his 
areas where he needs to take a hurdle and he needs to take a leap. And that's, you know, performance against pressure. I know there are some stats that say he's been okay against the blitz, but we've seen it on tape and it just doesn't look that way. Um, and I guess some of these stats can be misleading. And this is an area he needs to improve on and he will now have the opportunity to get those reps every day against a coordinator, unlike Patrick Graham, who's going to be bringing pressure in practice and is going to be bringing extra guys in practice. That's not even something you see in the preseason a lot. A lot of these teams don't even try that in the preseason. I'm not even sure if the Giants will or won't try to practice their defense. I'm sure they actually will, to be honest. Like, you're not supposed to. I feel like it's one of those, like, um, unwritten rules, Nick, like in the preseason, don't blitz that much because you don't want to injure anybody. But I feel like Wink's just going to do it because he needs to get this defense, you know, under ready for the season pretty much and understanding what they need to do and where they need to be. So it will help Daniel Jones. I really do believe that. So I'm excited about that. And to that point too, about blitzing during the preseason, when you're aligning guys like Julian Love, who's like five foot 11, 190 pounds, right up on the line of scrimmage in the A gap, you're going to want to make sure you refine that process. It's not something that Julian Love has done all that much in his career. So you could do it as many times as you want in practice, but it's different when the bullets are flying. And preseason, I know it's not necessarily real, but people are still trying to right. make rosters. They're still trying to play to their best of ability. So I think you are going to see some some exotic blitzes. Probably not everything, but some exotic blitzes throughout preseason to ensure that the secondary pieces who are doing things that they're not accustomed to, that they're up to speed with everything going on. So once they go down to Nashville and play in Tennessee, they're ready to roll. Yeah, 100%. I think you're uh, you're spot on with that, Nick. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops. Another uh, one one of the few things, that we had the last day canceled of camp uh, to an extent. The Giants are doing something else. They're not practicing. And, and really, the second day of minicamp was like basically a walkthrough, according to the beat reporters. Very different from the past camps, especially yeah. judges at camp, but also just any of these camps. Like, you know, they really only did one day of mandatory minicamp. Last year was like three hard days of practice. This was one day, a walkthrough, and then today, which is like a team activity unrelated. So just a different feel. Um, there were some quotes from Davis Webb about how Daniel Jones is a very hard worker and very smart. I'm personally taking nothing away from that. I think it's just player speak, teammate speak. But I did think, do you have anything on that? Do you, do you feel any differently about those quotes? No, I wouldn't expect Davis Webb to come out here and be like, yeah, this guy sucks. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like he did heat praise, which is something you want, but it's also stuff that we also know about Daniel Jones. He is a hard worker. He is a smart guy. It just needs to translate to specific things on the football field, which we haven't seen consistently yet. Yeah. I mean, the reality of the situation is on tape, Daniel Jones is not a smart quarterback. He's a smart quarterback in the sense that he's a hard worker and he, you know, he can call things out in on the on the chalkboard. He can call things out in the tank review and the film review. But when the bullets fly and we've actually seen it live, he hasn't looked like a smart quarterback. That's not me saying this. I hope people know understand that. This is not me saying this. Nick agrees with this. We've read, you know, Nick has already said this a bunch. This is what all 31 other people who would evaluate this team from afar would say. Every single person. We've had Mark Schofield on, he said it. We've had other individual evaluators. Daniel Jones has had slow eyes on film. He's been a bad processor on film. He has not been smart, quote unquote, or at least not football smart, not the smart that matters. So to me, that doesn't matter if Davis Webb says that. And yeah, he says he's a hard worker. We know he's a hard worker. He's a damn hard worker. That's a great thing. I'm really happy that Jones is dedicated to his craft and wants to be great. But the actual smarts that we want to see, they need to be, we need to see it on film. We need to see Consistent. it. Yeah, yeah, consistently on film. There are some examples. That's the other thing. Like, you're right, Nick. There are some flashes, but it's just a matter of this needs. It's crazy because it's so hard to play quarterback. You need to be consistently football smart on such a high percentage of your snaps and your dropbacks. 
And really, that's what it's about. Like every quarterback has moments of, oh, wow, he processed that really well. Almost every quarterback. I shouldn't say every quarterback. There are some quarterbacks who just simply don't get it. But almost every quarterback who's starting in the NFL has moments where they process well. Daniel Jones included. Daniel Jones has that flashes, like Nick just said. But it's a matter of you got to stack those. You got to stack, 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 stack at such a consistent level to win in the NFL and to be consistent in the passing game. And so that's the smart I want to see. And I leads me to my next thing, which was what uh, Golden Tate says, which is like essentially that I'm paraphrasing here, but the Giants essentially kind of babied Jones and tried to be like too restrictive. Like you got to go here with the football there. When you see this, go there instead of just letting him kind of free ball it and play free and open. And I think that there's a case to be made that part of why Jones has been so poor on film from a processing standpoint is because of the Judge Garrett influence, because of what they did, because of not allowing him to play free, because of not allowing him to grow from a mental processing standpoint on his own, from seeing the field a certain way on his own. Because if you're in the in his ear every play, like, look, if you get this read pre-snap, you got to go with the football here. It kind of vibes, Nick, with what we've seen on film, right? Like, we've seen a lot of A-B processing from Jones. Like, read this pre-snap, go, with, go look there immediately, and then just hang and just sit there and hang and stand, 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 looking, looking, looking for too long. And that might be the coaches being like, this is where the ball's supposed to be. Go here. And that could be what's holding him back in a way. I don't know. Like, I don't want to go and say 100% Judge and Jared are the re- Judge and Garrett are the reason why Daniel Jones has been such a poor processor on film because he really didn't do much processing at all at Duke. So the reality is probably just he just has no experience really with it. Um, and, and just it may be natural too how these guys see the field post snap. But I think a case can be made that if he if you have those coaches in your ear every play every pre snap. It could stymie your growth from a processing standpoint. What do you make of that? 100%. That's what the system was built on. The Jason Garrett system was built on limiting turnovers. Because in 2019, with Pat Shermer, when Daniel Jones was actually able to conjure up some explosive plays, he threw 12 picks, which isn't that bad. But he fumbled the football 18 times. So Jason Garrett put a high priority on quick passing game and quick throws, pre-snap reads to post-snap diagnosis. And that's why they ran so many of these horizontal stick type of concepts. And they were very easy to bait because Daniel Jones would hit that back foot on like a three-step drop or sometimes just right out of shotgun once he squares his feet, fire the football, and all it took was the linebacker to kind of, you know, shade in one direction and then just go and undercut that pass. And that's what Daniel Jones was being told. It was to mitigate his time in the pocket so he wasn't going to get hit and fumble the football because he had a turnstile all along his offensive line, essentially, and they didn't want to really have him take those risks that quarterbacks like Andrew Luck took. And that's why he threw so many interceptions because Daniel Jones during his rookie season had a couple games where he threw multiple different interceptions and was a little bit reckless and careless with the football and the 12 interceptions. So most of his career, but it probably could have been more is just a lot of those balls were dropped. It's not a knock on Daniel Jones. He's 2019. He was a rookie and I get it. But when you, when you implement that type of Jason Garrett, very Uber conservative type of system, you're not going to allow the quarterback to make the decisions that are necessary to really have your offense thrive. And that was, to me, the biggest, biggest downfall of the Joe Judge era was Jason Garrett's offense and how it may have stymied Daniel Jones's growth. Yeah, and it's sad because it's two years of his career. It's two early years of his career. And we've seen the flashes from Jones. We've seen the moments of him having the tools, him having the size in the pocket, him having the speed when he's a runner, him having the tall ball. He throws a very tall ball when he has his shoulders squared and he's able to throw from that balanced base. And we've seen it, but 
the one thing that he needs to be as a quarterback, in my opinion, Daniel Jones, because I don't ever think he's going to be an off-platform thrower in the NFL. That is not his game whatsoever. We've seen plenty of film where Daniel Jones is inaccurate once he's on the move or the ball just loses velocity. What I think he needs to be is a quick processor so he can throw from the pocket almost all the time, a la Tom Brady, a la Matt Ryan. These types of throwers who are just always from the pocket, always from a balanced base or close to it, and always with those shoulders squared into their throws because they're processing fast enough. And I kind of feel like this guy, this it's not just Garrett, it's Judge too. I feel like a lot of what they wanted to do, it's a whole philosophy of what they wanted to do in the passing game, really hurt him as a quarterback growing. And we'll see if it's not too late this year. I think Brian Dable, Dabes is trying to, and Kafka are trying to do everything in their power to kind of erase in Daniel Jones's mind everything these two taught you from Garrett, you know, Garrett and Judge. Like, don't think of the game like that. Stop thinking of it like that. Think of it in another way. Here's how we want you to think about it. We want you to think about it freely. We want you to think about you can pull the trigger on these throws. And that's going to be the most interesting thing to me, Nick. Tight window throws in 2022 for Daniel Jones. Is he going to attempt them? Is he going to feel like he's more empowered to make these kinds of throws that we watch on film the next week and be like, dude, did you see that ball Daniel Jones fit into that window? It might be the case that he could have done that more in the last two years, and he just wasn't taught to, or he was taught don't make those throws, don't take those chances. And I'm wondering how much of an impact that'll have on him this year because I think Golden Tate's right when he says, you know, when you just tell a quarterback you can't do this or you can't do that or you have to do this, you have to do that. It's harder for him to play the position. There's so many moving parts and variables that he needs to be able to adjust on the fly to things that aren't expected. He needs to know that he can adjust quick, right? Like he needs to know, like if he doesn't see this pre, if he, if what he thought was going to be there pre-snap is just not there, he can pull the trigger on a more risky throw. If that's the only option, rather than hang in the pocket, sit, sit, wait, and then worse things happen. It's a very justifiable position. It's one that makes a lot of sense because back in 2019, Daniel Jones had a 5.5 turnover worthy play percentage. That is second in the league behind Kyle Allen. When you just go with quarterbacks who played 50% of their team snaps. And that does include the fumbling, but it also is the interceptions. And like we said, man, like Jason Garrett and Joe judge, it's not like they're just dumb. Like they had a plan. It's just, to me, it was an overcorrection. It was an overcorrection to ensure Daniel Jones didn't turn the football over now he went from a 3.1 percent so he dropped it significantly in 2020 and then 2021 it was 2.7 so they did their job in terms of limiting those turnover plays but at what cost and the cost of it was grand in my opinion because the giants offense was unwatchable during their tenure yeah it's a good point because they did improve that and he improved that too, and it needed to be improved. He, like you said, he was second in turnover-worthy rate, and that includes throws that aren't intercepted, but should, but a quote-unquote should have been intercepted or could have been intercepted based on the ball placement. And you know, it could be a defensive back drops the ball, it could be a defensive back times it right, but goes for the receiver instead to break it up. Throws that just shouldn't be made in a sense that they could lead to turnovers. But like you said, there needs to be a more happy balance here, and that's something Jones is going to have to find himself really, to be honest. But I think the best way to achieve that, Nick, is by going with a more free-flowing offense. And I'd like to see them use more no huddle this year, more tempo, more let Jones kind of try to Joe Burrow it at the line of scrimmage and figure it out. Um, that's something we'll see if he can do, though. Like, that's, it's still on, it's the jury's still out on that. Like, Joe Burrow, year two, he was already able to do that because he just has an insanely natural feel for how the field looks post-snap. He sees the field incredibly well. His eyes are really quick. Jones, since his Duke days, has had slow eyes. He does not see the field well. 
there could be reasons for that. Like we said, it could be get a lot of influence from the Garrett judge. But right now, I think it's fair to say the lean is more heavily on Jones. And so it's on Jones. It's year four. He's seen a lot of different things now in the NFL. He's seen a lot of different looks. He's seen a lot of different defensive coordinators, a lot of different defensive systems. He's going to see a whole new one in practice with heavy pressure daily. So now it's on him, man. He's got to catch that football and adjust to and, and see the field better, to be completely honest. Yeah, and now he has real a real modern offensive staff around him, but not just right. Brian Dable, with Mike Kafka, has these offensive weapons. They draft Wandell Robinson. They have Kadarius Tone. I mean, he has a lot of things set for him. And this is, I guess, the true make-or-break year, which was so overused last year by me. I said that so much as a make-or-break year. Well, now we're into this season. I don't even know what's going to happen if Daniel Jones plays very, very well, where the Giants will take the relationship between Jones and this organization. That could be a discussion for another time, but there are just a lot of moving parts to this. So I just think we should take it a game at a time or maybe even a series at a time. Yeah, exactly. Because like you're going to see like, it's a great point, Nick, because that the patience is so important here. Like you're going to see things like we saw yesterday. I think Dan Duggan was the one at practice who was reporting this like, it just felt like it was a really confusing day. Like the, the offense was confused by what Wink Martindale was doing in practice. And that's going to happen. Like we have to just be patient with this. He's seeing new looks. He's in a new system. That's Daniel Jones. That is. And that's, that's the entire offense, like you said. And so he's going to, we're going to, it's going to take some time, but hopefully, you know, he can get there and hopefully the, the offense can get there. And like you said earlier, Nick, I mean, look at this red jerseys yesterday. You want to hear all these names, Galladay, Tony Shepard, Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, Gates on the offensive side of the ball. That's that's a lot of players that, you know, maybe not Gates and Parrott, but a lot of players you're counting on the side of that, aside from that, to make a big impact this year. Absolutely. And that and they're also guys like Travis Tobianen. Is that how you say his name? Colin Johnson. Those guys were also in red jerseys on the first mini camp practice. I'm just kind of going through this. And then on the defensive side, you had Blake Martinez, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, TJ Brunson, Darren Evans, Quincy Roche. Those and Rodarius Williams, and I think obviously Kayvon Thibodeau as well, who are all in red jerseys. And I think a lot of these are precautionary too, which is something else to note. Hopefully by training camp, a lot of these guys are back and ready to roll because last year they got off to a slow start and Judge was a little bit maybe too conservative going through a lot of these preseason games, resting guys. And we saw how tragic that was once the season started and the Giants looked absolutely lost. Yeah, that's an interesting point too. I want to talk a little bit about some of these updates from minicamp when it comes to like the injury situation, because they're taking a different approach with the injuries this year, which I think is valuable. And I think it's a good thing, but it's still the same medical staff in place. So that's the one concerning thing to me. Like this year, what we're seeing is these guys are really, you know, they really have kitty gloves on kid gloves on in a sense of what they're doing with these players who have minor injuries. They're not practicing them at all they're not taking any risks what are your thoughts on kind of this process of going about the you know the injury situation sterling shepherd too also should get thrown in i don't mind it right now during otas and minicamp i don't think it's necessary to go balls to the wall for lack of a better term. I think instead you do the install. You have new systems on each side of the football. So these players need to get up to speed mentally before they can really put the pads on and go full speed with everything going on. So once training camp rolls around, they're up to speed mentally, and then you can really start implementing the rest of your offense and defense. I'm fine with it right now. These guys are still absorbing everything. They're out there with the red jerseys. They might not be out there in formation, but they're still out there running. Like if they can uh, catch 
you know, they're out there catching footballs. If they can do certain things, they're out there doing those things. It's just not something that's going to injure them. So I'm fine with this approach now. But once training camp rolls around, I hope that we we start to see a little bit more of an up-tempo type of aspect to all of this. So I guess we'll see. I, I'm okay with it, though. In the sense of Kayvon Thibodeau, when it comes to that, we had Jihad Ward say yesterday, look, I'm on his I'm on his butt every day because I want to make sure that he's going to play fast. And that's what you hear a lot. Play fast, right? The only way to play fast is by knowing the system. Do you feel, Nick, that by Kayvon Thibodeau really being in this red jersey and missing a lot of these install practices and then hopefully not in training camp, though, you know, Brian, uh, Dave said, look, I'm not going to make any promises about Tibbs playing in training camp or any of these guys playing in training camp. Do you feel like they can pick it, this system up mentally with the mental reps or you really need to be out there and, and you know, physically taking a part in, in these reps? Well, I think physically taking part of the reps is the best way to absorb it. KT seems like a really smart player. Seems like he has a high amount of mental processing. So I'm hoping that he'll be able to do enough to ingratiate himself into the defense during training camp once he, once he is healthy. And then once preseason rolls around, he can really start getting the feel of the defense. Then by week one, he will be ready. That's my overall hope. As of right now, I'm not overly worried. But any time a rookie and a young player can't get on the football field, it's not necessarily a good thing for them. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not going to panic or anything at the moment. And I'm glad that the Giants did sign a guy like Jihad Ward. And they have players who have experience in this system. I think that's really, really important. But I'm not panicking right now. But training camp rolls around and, and Thibodeau's still not there. It's it's starting to come to a time where I won't be like, okay, this this isn't great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I'm with you there. I want to. I hope by training camp you can start to get those physical reps. A few other notes from the mini camp. The tight end situation is really interesting. The Giants signed Ricky Seals-Jones, who played with Washington and Arizona before that, made some really acrobatic catches for Washington at key times, obviously at that touchdown against the Giants. The expectation was he might get the first crack at the starting tight end job. I also signed Jordan Aikens from Texans, who played a lot of snaps there like with that team, and there was an expectation maybe he would be competing. But they've really thrown the rookies into the fire at this tight end position. Daniel Bellinger continues to receive a ton of first-team reps, and Austin Allen is now also receiving for, uh, first-team reps. The undrafted free agent out of Nebraska, a player who I like a lot um, as a potential to stick with this team. What do you make of what's going on at the tight end situation now with these first-team reps? I, I think when you have rookies, and this is OTAs and minicamp, you, you can put them in because veterans like Seals, Jones, and Aikens have been around the block a couple times. Yes, this is a new deep defense. This is a new offense. But I still think at the end of the day, if Bellinger's going to have a role, which it looks like he can, and this is really good news for Austin Allen as well, then you want him to really get up to speed with everything. everything. So you put them out there during this, have them take those reps. Those reps are much more valuable to Daniel Bellinger than they are to you know a seven, eight-year veteran. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm not completely sold that Bellinger is going to be the week one starter, but it is a good sign that the Giants are really invested in this kid and they are going to give him these reps and by all accounts from all the beat people that are out there it seems like he's doing really well with it he's doing really well with it and like you said this depth chart's wide open at tight end man like if there was ever a year for a fourth round rookie at the hardest position in my opinion to transition to save for maybe offensive tackle but i honestly feel like at this point tight ends even harder to transition to this might be the year like doesn't matter i mean we saw it with kevin boss it's doable it's possible Boss earned eventually a starting role as a fifth round rookie, but Bellinger has a shot. And with this depth chart, as shallow as it is at that position, I'm excited to see him now in training camp. We'll do a training camp preview at some point, Nick, and he'll be at this position battle at tight end will be atop my list. It might be number one because I really feel like it's the most wide open as far as all the battles go. 
and I think there's a lot of upside to Bellinger winning this outright and then playing the majority of snaps at that position. I don't think it's impossible. I think there's a non-zero chance he can do this thing, especially you like to see it with the momentum building. I've talked about this a lot throughout the podcast over the years, but I love to see that steady drum beat. A guy starts off in the rookie minicamp looking good, and he carries it over to the regular OTAs in minicamp. He carries it over to the training camp, starts to do things in preseason with the first team often. That's the drum beat. It's steady. It's building. And then it gets there and it results in what we want or results in the final solution being he's starting and he's the guy out there at the tight end position or H back or however you're going to use, however they plan to use their tight ends. Cause again, I have seen a little bit, I've been watching a little bit more bills and it really is interesting how they use their typically one tight end who's on the field um, as far as where they align him pre and post snap. So I'll definitely be interested to see that as it goes out. And Dan, you brought up, training camp battles, dude, there are so many training camp battles that I'm really excited about. Tight end might be number one, but honestly, bro, I look at the slot, the nickelback, Darnay Holmes, Cordell Flott, the left guard position. I mean, right now it seems like Shane Lemieux has the inside track there, but I wouldn't be shocked if Max Garcia or Josh Azudu by the end of training camp kind of seizes that. You have linebacker, think Tay Crowder, but what if Micah McFadden or Darian Beavers prove themselves? I think there's a lot of training camp battles that I'm actually really excited about. Yeah, me too. And I think speaking of a Zudu and the left guard position, it's interesting. Do you think it's going to ultimately be a little bit of a, I guess I want to say a drawback, but an impediment on his, on his progression at left guard, the fact that he has to take all these first team left tackle reps because Thomas is recovering from that ankle surgery. How do you feel about like what's going on with that, with him taking all these first team reps at left tackle? I think that's a great point because obviously the Giants value him enough to put him out there at left tackle. If not, they would have put one of these true left tackles out there. So they think he can execute those roles. Now, we've talked about in the past that maybe Azudu's tackle technique was a little off at times in pass protection when he was at UNC, and we gave him the benefit of the doubt, the fact that he didn't really have a position where he stuck at consistently. So I do think that that does take away maybe a little bit because the more reps you get at one position, the better you're going to become at said position. So I think if he was just taking him at left guard, probably benefit him more. But the fact that they view him as a versatile enough asset to play left tackle also helps him because if something were to happen to Andrew Thomas, now you have a Zudu who can get thrown into the mix as a possible solution there. Yeah, exactly. And so it just gives him more, you know, I guess of experience in other positions and I'm Definitely going to be interested to see some of these battles, especially at wide receiver too. It's like low key to see those back end wide receiver spots, especially now that you have Tyrod Taylor in practice. Cause I'm at, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I went back, I watched a lot of Tyrod last year. This dude plays well. I don't care what anyone says. I think Tyrod Taylor is a pretty damn good quarterback. He throws really well on the run. Like his ability to throw off platform is surprisingly impressive. His ability to throw down field with accuracy and ball placement, surprisingly impressive. His running ability, surprisingly impressive. His ability to maneuver in the pocket, reset the pocket, manipulate the pocket, surprisingly impressive. I know there's some drawbacks with Taylor, his size, the fact that he's kind of never really done it on an extended period. He, he almost took the, or he did take the bills. Did he take the bills to the playoff that one season or he came close? Um, Cleveland, he had a decent start and then he got hurt and Baker replaced him. But look, I think having him in camp as the QB two is going to help those battles at the other wide receiver positions. And it's going to help iron, you know, sharpen that iron and get the best the Giants can get at a receiver and find the best possible combination of receivers to fill out this step chart. Because we know it's an injury prone position. We know the Giants have players who have been injured. Galladay, Shepard, Tony, all injured and all at times not on the field. So with that said, it's going to be important to find wide receivers four, five, six, seven 
potentially, depending on how many they want to keep, to compete and get the best possible talent there because they may have to play in the regular season. And the Giants have spent two premium picks in the last two years on wide receiver. I think that's an excellent point. And I also think this is a, a murky situation for Darius Slayton, somebody who seems to be having a good OTAs, a good mini camp, what have you. But you can save, what, $2.5 million on the cap by releasing Darius Slayton. And you have David Sills, Robert Foster, CJ Board, Alex Bachman, Colin Johnson, and this Travis Tovinen kid who are all doing well in OTAs. Like, I, I don't know what Darius Slayton's future is here with the Giants. I think Slayton is going to stick now. I'm, I've gone back and forth on this and it's still early to make a final decision, but he's been impressive so far in, in minicamp and they've utilized him in interesting ways. Like I read either yesterday or the day before, he was kind of utilized as that backfield receiver on some of these uh, more you know, unique snaps. So Saquon Barkley lined up as a, as a slot or Saquon Barkley at times has even been lined up on the boundary, um, which is interesting too, by the way, in, in its own right. But Maybe eventually that's Tony once he's healthy or Wandale Robinson, but Robinson's been practicing. And so, and he hasn't really operated in that role yet. So I'll be interested to see how they utilize Slayton and if he can kind of carve out more of a niche for himself in this system. I'm not, I'm not fully out on Darius Slayton. I don't want to make it like that. It's just, I think it's a decision to make. And when you have the depth that the giants have in terms of Foster board and a lot of these players who they're not going to move the needle for you, but they can execute wide receiver assignments. Well, and we've seen guys like CJ board do it. We even seen guys like Colin Johnson do it. It, uh, it, it makes it a little bit murky when the giants can save a buck and they're in cap hell at the moment. All right, Nick, let's talk about a few other things. Let's clean up a few other things that were outside of the uh, mini camp, but also interesting to the giants. I think at least, and one of those things will actually shout out to our boy Giants fan in Charlotte who uh, put me on to this podcast from Neil Stratton, who's inside the league, one of the uh, kind of league insider okay. guys, um, former scout, I believe. Or, yeah, he was he a former scout? I think he was a former scout. He's connected. He said, um, you know, the the word around the league is Joe Shane's off to a really good start in hiring really good evaluators. They He really praised the Mike DeRice hire as a national scout. They called it a coup. Um, and then also praise Chris Rossetti, who's coming in. So I feel like he's starting to assemble his staff of scouts and Joe Shane's starting to look for talent and look for guys, you know, just like the Giants kind of did with Brandon Brown and just getting in talented scouts and football minds from other organizations to replace the old school scouts the Giants had and to replace a lot of these long-term guys that were just carried over from the Gettleman, the Reese, the, the Corsi days, and just maybe behind the times a little bit, obviously as evidenced by the Giants really struggling to find late round talent over the last decade. And really in a lot of ways, find day two talent. They've hit on a few of these round two and round three picks, but not much. And at round three, it's been completely barren, just no hit. So I'm definitely interested to see this. And I think this is another right uh, step in the right direction. Absolutely. Stratton is really plugged in from everything I've seen. And whenever he t tweets something, I typically pay attention because he knows what the heck is going on around the league. And I've seen nothing but praise for everything Joe Shane has done in terms of the scouts that he has brought in. And they're going to form the identity that Joe Shane wants. It's not this doesn't seem like the nepotism that that we're used to. And I say that while also acknowledging the fact that there are certain individuals still in the Giants organization that are related to Mara, but they're going to stick because of nepotism, but it's not universally applied in terms of cronyism at this point because Joe Shane is bringing in the guys that he wants. And that's exactly what we should all want as fans of this team. Yep, exactly right. Um, okay. Anything else from the mini camp that stood out to you? 
No, I think we've covered quite a bit. I'm just curious as to what Joe Shane and Brian Dable are going to do with the guys on the day off. I'm wondering if they're going to attend, you know, the Rangers game, game five. I'm wondering, imagine if they roll deep and the entire like 90 man roster is there. I I mean, how would that even be possible? These tickets are going for like 3000 a pop. Yeah, it would be absolutely insane. And I'm not suggesting that that would be the case, but we know Brian Dable's a diehard Rangers fan and we know Joe Shane has been at a couple games as well. It would be uh, yeah. quite entertaining if that's the case. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. But looking forward to it. Look, there's a six-week break now, everyone, until training camp starts up. It's going to be slow, but we're going to do position previews like we did last year. We'll break down and we'll try to break down every single position group and do a long, deep dive into each position to kind of give you an outlook of where the Giants are at um, prior to training camp. And so we'll go from there. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. Please, please do us a favor. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Write up something nice. Put a question in there and we'll answer it. Haven't seen any questions lately. Just looked. Um, and if you already did all this, you can do us a favor still. You can help us grow the podcast still. If you unsubscribe and resubscribe to the pod, it's a little trick on Apple and I think on Spotify as well. It's a little trick. To give us a little boost. So maybe consider doing that as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.